Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Open your hearts. Loosen your butts. It's time for Couples Therapy. Yeah, this podcast is Andy and Naomi's Where they can both laugh and hang with all their homies Talking excellent vacationing with brunches and cuddling To messy situationships and conscious and coupling From Netflix hookups to single them with some Hulu Tech sex regrets or feeling on your new jubu They gon' talk about it, ah, yeah you are invited, ah Needing therapy, I guarantee baby we got it It's Couples Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Couples Therapy. My name is Naomi. My name is Andy. We're a real-life couple. A real-life couple of comedians. And on Couples Therapy, we answer a couple of different questions from a couple of different listeners. Andy and I said, how do we start? What do we want to talk about? Where are we at emotionally? You know, I suggested a lot of things related to the dog, because that's what I've got going on. And we said, meh. Well, then, I'm just going to tell you that. My introduction is, I don't know. I don't know. I think that is, in general... A uh, a good bellwether uh-huh. of where we are right now, right in every aspect of our life, emotionally, ontologically, existentially. We're in a between time. We're in a between time. I think an interregnum. Right. An interregnum. An interregnum. This is the second time you use that word today. You're in a real interregnum head. It's my word of the day. Uh, well, it's because I, well, I started a Substack and I uh, wrote a, a, the first one is a, a philosophical explanation of why turfs are shitheads. Okay, <laughs> so beautiful. I had to talk about paradigms and interregnums and other <laughs> stuff. So that's why I think that's why that's in my head. But uh, I want to jump right in. But since we, since you and I are bereft, perhaps uh, I want to jump right in. Okay. Now, do you remember last episode, Naomi? Bob the drag queen. What a wonderful episode. What a wonderful episode. What a beautiful time. We had a, a bunch of people write in, and I I, I think uh, this one uh, encapsulates uh, into uh, into one short email everything. <laughs> but do you remember when Bob was talking about how subway conductors point? They stop and point. Yes, 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 yes. Stop and point. And point. Up. Yeah, they're stop like in the point. middle and they point up about uh, over their heads. And we were speculating. Well, speculate no more. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm just listening to the Bob the Drag Queen episode where Bob describes the pointing that the subway conductor does. I want to write in and share some information about that. I noticed this pointing on trains when visiting in Japan. The conductors, the attendants, and the janitorial staff all do something that is called pointing and calling. Apparently, it's a safety method for avoiding mistakes. Mm. So the janitorial staff would point at the step as they disembarked the train, pointing and calling at the platform. So they don't misstep? Question mark. Anyway, I wanted to share because I was so curious when I noticed and didn't realize it was practiced in the States as well. Thank you for all that you do. Your podcast brings tremendous joy and nourishment. Mm. Nourishment to my days. Wow. That's the highest compliment. Nourishment? Nourishment. Are we chicken soup for the soul, Andy? <laughs> no. 
No, we are not drivel. We are not drek. We are sustenance. <laughs> we are a full vegan BLT for the soul. <laughs> I think with avocado. Thank you. Now I'm on board with some actual sustenance. Paper rice bacon. We got <laughs> we got tomato. We got lettuce. Ugh. The L and the T. Yeah. Lettuce avocado. Is- there you get some real. That's when it gets hearty. Marinated tofu. Mm. Okay, that's feeling more like a cop in a way. Well, whatever it is, for but the I love soul. it. No, I love it. That and then between two pieces of delicious toasted bread, sourdough perhaps. You live for a sourdough. Name You're a real sourdough head. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, my favorite thing that uh, that uh, sad Homer says is sourdough. Sour, annoyed grunt. Uh, we have one other thing I want to read. This is very quick, but I thought it was interesting. Um, this is also from Bob's episode. Hi, Andy and Naomi. I was just listening to the episode with Bob the Drag Queen, and I had a thought about the call from Ariel, the video game drama. Do you remember Ariel? Yes, yes. Who's lover play video games all the time and all the do time. anything in their house yes. that they now have owned together? Uh-huh. I'll never forget. Uh I would use the phrase obsessively, personally, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. to each their own. The caller mentioned uh, that their boyfriend, and there's a question mark in parentheses, so uh, I think a question as to the status of this person, yeah. had been having issues with depression. It sounds like video games and poker are probably an escape, mm-hmm. especially if he's doing that while, quote, at work. I might be projecting, but I used to use video games to escape from childhood trauma and feelings of gender dysphoria before mm. I realized I was trans. It might be worth exploring in therapy what, if anything, the video games are an escape from. If he's just an underdeveloped man child, <laughs> that's one thing. Yeah. Uh, but it could also be a maladaptive coping mechanism mm-hmm. or a sign of some deeper trauma. Hope that makes sense and or helps. And thanks to you both. I love the pod. That's true. I that's thought that was true. interesting. Yeah, I think it's very true. Of course. I mean, talk. we all do stuff to escape and certainly games. Just drop yourself into a world and not think about it. But right. most certainly... I mean, it's funny because that totally sounds like a possibility to me. I couldn't remember if we had talked about whether or not this the partner had gotten into therapy already or had been resistant to it. Was in. I think we questioned whether they were doing the work or not. I, I'm, I'm not yeah, 100% yeah, yeah. sure, but I just know that we didn't think of that possibility that maybe the, vid- the, the obsessive playing of video games or the constant playing of video games was actually covering something up that they didn't want to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Which, In which case, it's a very like AA type thing, right? Go on. Or like any kind of 12-step program. Isn't that the point of the 12-step program? Oh, you're saying, saying that's that like, but a, it's but a symptom. Yes. The idea the of it being but a symptom. The thing you're obsessively yes, yes, doing yes. is covering up yes. the thing you're not uh, dealing with. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I'm sure we're going to get plenty of follow-ups to that as well. <laughs> this is the thing. Uh, but uh, I do understand what you mean in that instance. Naomi, do you know what was a wonderful thing that happened this week? Your David Letterman episode came out. Oh, you mean episode two of That's My Time with David Letterman? I do mean that. Wherein I did a five-minute set, and then we had a little chitty chat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was fun, wasn't it? Well, it was fun to, to be there. I We haven't watched it yet. Yes, I was going to say, I, was like, actually, I haven't watched it. We haven't actually I was like, it was fun. It. But uh, the, the acclaim seems to be universal. <laughs> I will say it's so funny, because of course, look, our, our lives are curated. We get the comments that we see. But I will say I've gotten uh, very few lame emails in fact like no one i was actually more worried that this set would get blowback in a way like for people who just you know like to fight and be difficult when you know i joke that i refuse to pay money to talk to a man i like really thought people were gonna come for me 
in the way the internet likes to just kind of pick apart jokes right. and be like, how dare you on this platform when there's so many therapists who are out here trying, you know, like, oh, I really that was thought. A, I thought you were going to get some, like, men's rights activists. Well, I mean, not even, but I could just see people, again, even the earnest ones who are just like, you know, uh, it's like male therapists are very important and they help so many people and people need it. And so I was very, so, so far, I mean, again, knock on wood, who knows? But so far, they've kept those thoughts to themselves. And for that, I am highly grateful. But I'm even more grateful for all the people who have watched and said kind things. Yeah. That's the true gift. And speaking of, like, watching, can't people watch you here in Los Angeles soon? (sighs) Andy, thank you so much for reminding me. Thursday, June 30th, I will be doing a show at Largo. Yes, the Largo. It'll be my own. It's called Naomi Perrigan Makes Friends, and it'll be me and some of my favorite stand-up comedians. We got Nori Reed. We got Sydney Washington. We got Megan Gailey. We got a couple of celebrity guests. Uh, so definitely come through. You can get that. You can get tickets on my Instagram bio. You can go to Largo-LA.com. That is Thursday, June 30th. The show's at 830, and it will be a good time, and I hope you can make it. We're halfway to sold out. Let's sell it out, babies. I'm going to say, Andy, I mean, speaking of things and ways people can access, don't you have an album coming out? So the Lost Harm album, I used to be in a Casio pop band called Harm. Mm -hmm. And our final album was supposed to come out on this indie pop label called Black Bean and Placenta back in the early 2000s. That is, honestly, the label Black Bean and Placenta is early 2000s. (laughs) That is correct. And we broke up. We went like Kyle, uh, one of the my co-songwriter, went off to grad school, and we kind of just broke up, and it never happened. Mm-hmm. And it's just been sitting on our hard drives ever since. And yeah. uh, during one of the uh, many novel coronavirus spikes uh-huh. of last year, I rediscovered it on, as I was cowering, afraid to go outside, and just sitting on my computer, I rediscovered it. And I was like, oh wait, this is actually pretty good still. Mm. Like if you can record something twenty years ago and then it still be good twenty years later then you're like, oh, all right. We should put, like, I could have, there's plenty of stuff from that. <laughs> there's plenty of early comedy that makes oh, me yeah. cringe. Oh, my God, burn it. Like, pretend it never happened. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but this is still good. So we decided, why not just put it online? So it's in pre-sale right now. Ooh. At andybeckerman.bandcamp.com. We love it. andybeckerman.bandcamp.com. <laughs> if you like, <laughs> if you like, I basically have been describing to people, like, if Steve Malk missed Peter Buck and Georgia Hubley, so basically, lead singer Pavement, guitarist from R.E.M., and drummer slash keyboardist slash guitarist from Yola Tango made an album for K Records. Does not make but, sense to you now? No, no, no. But I was going to say, I was like, you don't even need that. I'm like, just say the names. And it's like, if you know the names, and it's for you. I was <laughs> you don't have to explain. If, the part, if you say those names to people, and they go, huh, then that is for them. You see what I'm saying? They got to know the refs yeah. to even get the vibe. But right. if you know those refs, this album is your vibe. So, yeah, I'm very excited. And you, you can get all the other harm stuff for, like, pay what you want yeah. if you like it. So I would say That's check exciting. that out. Uh, speaking of checking things out, check out this episode you're listening to now because what a great what a great guest, an old friend of ours. Old friend, dear friend. We've got Marcel Carp joining us. Marcel is one of the founders of Bust Magazine. Marcel's got a brand new YA novel out called Getting Over Max Cooper. Hell and yeah. it is... Her first YA novel, but she's been out here writing in these streets forever, ever. So it is so good, so fun, and it will definitely take you back, honey. Take you back to them teen <laughs> days when the love was real and deep and dark and all the feelings were the feelings. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like this is just such a fun time, of course, to connect with Marcel across the universe, you know, hear everything. And as always, she's so open and she's like willing to just like 
answer anything she, she is, she is like a, just a our great most sex positive friend definitely definitely yeah. but that's i didn't just mean sex i just mean in general just a real open heart real loose butt so without further ado roll it i realize marcel i like don't know a ton about your you're well i'll say this you're one of our most sex positive friends if not <laughs> our most sex positive friend but i don't think i like know actual details about like were you married Ro- to, romantic to, details well yeah kind of, i, I mean you, you told us like little snippets and stories were you married to ruby's dad yes um i was married we call him the inseminator but in <laughs> fact i was married to okay. him for uh for quite a while uh but you know because i want to make it i want to make it possible for him to be in new york uh, when she was first born and, and then, you know, maybe possibly be a part of her life. And we know how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what, let's go, let's start at the very beginning. We'll, right. we'll, lead, up to Ruby, we'll lead up to the inseminator. <laughs> okay. But you also know, because you know me so well that I have nicknames for almost all of the ex lovers. So like there's That's a nickname true. for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, there's yes, a nickname you, for everybody. You were living sex in the city before that even existed. <laughs> yeah. yes, that's true. Kind of. Think about yeah. it. Living in New that's, York, like yeah, like nineties, nineties New York, doing it up. Seeing all the bands that you love, Andy. Uh-huh. All the bands that annoy you and Naomi. Uh, you know, <laughs> just like. <laughs> were you hanging out at Grand Royal Records? No, because they were LA based. I was oh. more Avenue A, like Brownies, Pyramid, Mercury Lounge, Luna Lounge, uh, Max Fish. Like that was my, <laughs> that was like where I trolled up and the down. The East Village trolled. <laughs> you trolled the East Village. Here's a connection though. Brownies turned into Hi-Fi, which is where we first started doing couples therapy live. And Right. And I did a show uh, with my daughter Ruby at one of your couples therapy uh, at the at the height, what was it called? Hi-Fi. Yeah, the Hi-Fi. Hi-Fi. Yeah. Hi-Fi. yeah, the Hi-Fi, and where I met Guy Branham mm-hmm. and Max Bernstein, and well, and oh, it may have been too where I met Abby and her husband, uh, Abby Crutchfield Luke? and Luke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. New York mainstays, <laughs> New York mainstays. But okay, you were from New York, right? Right. I'm from Queens. My yeah, father was a New York City taxi driver. So, like, really, really New, New York. York. New York. <laughs> exactly. Hey! I'm driving a taxi here. I got my medallion. <laughs> That's but kind he, of how we talk. He's, but was he Israeli? Or you're just your mom? He, he you know, he he's originally, or was originally Polish, but he spent the first part of his life in Israel, um, in Haifa, before he and my mother, when they uh, when they got married, moved to New York. Okay, so like you grew up, you were in New York, but also in like that's not the loosest, most fun crew to grow up with, mom and dad, <laughs> right? Like you had to kind of really kind of venture out to find your people and your music and your Avenue A lifestyle. That that would that would definitely be right. I, although in high school. It was like that when I was in high school, like 1980, 81, 82, like that was the era of disco. Oh, maybe actually even 79, 78 was the era of disco. So me and my friends used to drive into the city and go to like Studio 54 and Xenon and Limelight and all these like, yeah. you know, just 
go to the discos because that's <laughs> all we could do. And that's how we ended up discovering punk, discovering punk rock. Like we discovered, you know, the Peppermint Lounge where I saw the Straight Cats for the first time and CBGBs where, of course, I saw Patti Smith. Like, you know, it, like my way into real music was through disco. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you went to, hold on, you went to Studio 54 as a teenager? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you you didn't need ID. You just had to be cute at sixteen. What uh, you didn't need ID at all? Not that I remember. Maybe, wow. but so no. But they, the point is, you didn't have an ID. Like you didn't have a fake ID. You were running around town. You were just walking no. up in there. I just walk up in there with my friends. You know, and wow. they wanted women. So yeah, then they wanted yeah. young women. So Ugh. we we were always allowed <laughs> in. Did you have to bring a shovel to kind of like push all the cocaine aside? <laughs> Just a little broom to walk in. I will say that I never saw any powder. What? I know. <laughs> That's I know. insane. I know. Um, I literally know see- nothing about Studio 54 except for the fact that it was like <laughs> covered in cocaine everywhere. Yeah, I, I was like oblivious. Like I had no idea. I was uh, 16, maybe like doing whippets. You know, that was probably the <laughs> most I was doing. I, like, I had no idea what was happening. I was also like, also as a teenager would go to like um, Madison Square Garden. I saw Queen at Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, like all those big like 70s yeah. rock bands. Like we saw them in Madison, a cheap trick, like whatever, yeah. all those bands. Yeah, so no, that was like Coke never actually even... Wow. Okay. So you were still a good girl. I mean, so good. You didn't even see the cocaine. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Like there's one thing to just say, I don't partake, but there's another to just say, I don't even see it. I get that. I was in the same boat. (laughs) Oblivious. Like it just doesn't enter your conceptual realm because you're just like, what? What are these things? What is happening? No, yeah, I would have no, I would have had no idea. I, the most I knew about drugs was that about, I knew about weed because my brother smoked it. He would always get busted at home. I was much more, I was smarter about it. Uh, that was about, that was the extent of like what I knew about drugs. But now going back though, you know, again, 16 driving into the city, I'm trying to kind of see when did you first become a lover of men? <laughs> when were you like What's having question? <laughs> this is my friend Marcel I can say what no, I want she could say what she wants in terms of like um cause look the Marcel I know is a grown woman takes lovers okay you're out here were I'm you that there. way when you were 16 17 do you know what I mean I, like dating hooking up all that kind of stuff I was out there but Naomi you'll be really surprised about this I didn't ha- I didn't I didn't lose my virginity until I found the one and that I was like 22 when that happened but okay. but in the meanwhile I was doing everything else with boys <laughs> and occasionally girls like I was 10 years old was like my first boyfriend this guy named Kenny uh, <laughs> who lived like two terraces down from where I live like that was the first boy and then like the second Oh, I remember having to practice how to kiss when I was 12 with um, Jerry Rossiano, my best friend's cousin, so that I could actually make out with my actual boyfriend, Louis Marroquin. And we all used to like, there'd be like these like three couples. And we used to have like this playground where we lived on 97th Street in, in, in uh, Corona. And we used to go up into this fort, we'd, like climb this like metal thing. And there'd be this like box that looked like a fort and mm-hmm. the three couples would all just sit in, a, in various corners. parts of the fort <laughs> yeah. corners as it were and make out and so like I was really good at making out thanks to Jerry Rossiano <laughs> so that like by the time Lewis got to me like 
I knew what I was doing. Uh, yeah. So that's, first of all, can we shout out the fact that Marcel is using full government names? Okay, like forty years later, and then also. Oh, but okay, this idea of like making out with yeah. Jerry for the sake of Lewis. Jerry Rossiano, yeah. what was his technique like that you got so good? So he was like a year older than me. So he just seemed more experienced than me. He was, you know, what? how old are you at 13? Eighth, you're in eighth grade. He just seemed more experienced. So we lived in a, we lived, I lived in like a, a, a row, like row houses. So there were three family houses all in a row. Uh, uh, in 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 Corona, and my, we had like a like a hallway, and so my parents would be like, "Where are you going?" I'd be like, oh, "I'm just going downstairs to get something from Denise." I would make up a you know make up a <laughs> and Jerry would be waiting for me in the hallway, and we'd close the lights and we'd make out, and then he would leave, and he never did anything else because that's <laughs> what we didn't know yet. Uh, he would just we just make out, and he'd be like, "No tongue," or you know, "Open your mouth," or like whatever. What? Like, and then you need to figure it out. We figured it out. I had no idea what I was doing. There was no sex in the city when I was twelve. What did we have? <laughs> well, thank we didn't God there have, was no sex in the city when you we were twelve. We didn't even have like James at fifteen or family with Christy McNichol. We didn't have anything yet. We had I, what did we have? Like Brady Bunch. That's all. That's all we had. So like, I really like I yeah I needed like help but by the time i got to high school also i went to a yeshiva which andy i may have told you this like i went when we did beginnings like i went to a yeshiva so it was like segregated the boys were on the first floor and the girls were on the top floor so i would always like have an eye on somebody and then we would meet in the library in the back row and make out there um and then i also had like, I also had my Goyesha friends, like my friends who weren't in the yeshiva, who I also would make out with on the weekends when we would go out partying and stuff. <laughs> um, so, like, I was making out all over the place. Um, and <laughs> I think that I had my first interaction. Oh, yes. I had my first interaction with third grade when I was um, 16. And I, uh, I wait, wait, wait. Oh, you were six with third grade? With third base. Third base. Third okay, base. I got like, very concerned. Like, okay, like down- <laughs> doing the who's on first. Third yeah, base. I know. I have to say third base. Okay, downtown stuff. And <laughs> I remember, uh, I'll give the nickname will be Goof. So like, uh, he was a year younger than me. He had a huge crush on me. My parents worked, obviously, like all parents, and uh, not all parents, but like my mother wasn't a housewife at this point. She was working as a cashier at um, Roy Rogers. Um, so. Goof would meet me at my house and we would do stuff. And then like one day he was like, would you, could you give me a blowjob? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And he's just like, just, just figure it out. And, I, and apparently I bit him a bunch, but it was the first <laughs> blowjob I ever gave. And it was so fun. Uh, I got better, so obviously. Fun. I got better, obviously. I don't, you know, I don't, unless someone asked, I wouldn't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> Although I did have a boyfriend in my 20s who worked at MTV who did, he wanted his penis like bent and bit and all kinds of oh, other no. stuff happening to it. And you're like, I thought this wasn't the kosher way to do a blowjob, but apparently he liked it. So again, whatever they want, I'm here to, I'm here to <laughs> Okay. But like, do, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I do like that Goof was, um, was like game to just like, yeah, let's just figure things out. Like that seems he like, was, a, that doesn't seem like. Like on TV or whatever, like the, the boyfriend does it. It's a, they're always uh, seemingly just like uh, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm imagining like a Dracula type character. <laughs> that's like that kind of energy. But see, it's Dracula what, energy. It's funny because I see Marcel did say it that way that he was like, figure it out. My my ears and my brain heard it as like you were like I don't know how to do that and he was like figure it out. Oh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I took it as him being very like get in there. I don't care. I, get in there. I took it as him just like oh you know because I don't think no. he would have gotten the nickname Goof if he was threatening. We were we were in it together. We were in it together, and uh-huh. we're actually still friends. It's so funny. Like every time, like, we'll see. I got bumped into him at a, a Mets game a couple of years ago before <laughs> the pandemic, um, uh, and he, uh, you know, we were in it together. He was sweet. It also was his first time. He was so excited to be going out with an older woman. It was a big deal. <laughs> also, he was a Shiva boy, so like you know, he it was it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. For everyone involved. But <laughs> did he have us to fill in on? <laughs> that shit had to come off. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, of course, again, right? Like we're talking about the past. But when I think about like the Jerry Lewis scenario, it does seem like the what scenario? Jerry Lewis. Jerry for practice, Lewis for oh, love. I thought you were talking about. Oh no, not actually like Jerry Lee Lewis. No, Flavin. Was that guy's name? <laughs> Isn't that Jerry Lewis? I don't know. All I know is he married his cousin. But it seems like you were able to separate some of the emotion from sex and like being physical period not you know obviously like being physical like you were like this is a means to an end i will kiss you to figure out something with which i you know i think is very foreign to me because for me it was like maybe if we do this he'll love me forever <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> and so that's i'm like would you say that's accurate though that is completely accurate i'm so happy you pointed that out uh, i figured it out very 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 early to separate the two things. And I think that's why I can have sex with abandon and not get, t- get too uh, attached or get not get attached at all. Um, because like, I know that there's like a big difference between, can I say the F word? Yeah. And between fucking and loving, like there's a huge difference. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it's together, but like right. I can have one without the other. Right. Is that just cause you were raised in the like hangover of the sixties? <laughs> Uh, no, I think I think there's a couple of things like my parents were very, my mother was very much like interested in me getting an MRS degree. And I was not mm-hmm. into that. So that's like a little bit of like a rebellious thing. My father had a terrible temper. So like I really didn't want to be like uh, I would date people and be like, do you have a bad temper? Because like I didn't want to be anywhere near that noise, uh, mm-hmm. even as a, even as a young person. Um so I kind of like separated a lot of it and, and it, it, you know, it helped me cope with like kind of the, 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 the distress that was happening at home, but also just like figuring out new, the nuance of like physicality with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were like able to compartmentalize things before yeah. that was even a phrase. Term. Right, right. And yeah. never even said anything. <laughs> but, but Yeshiva, like, weren't they like, don't have sex, don't touch each other, right? Like, isn't that what they were teaching you all day, every day? <laughs> and that's why they kept they on were, separate floors? That's why they kept us on separate floors. But I also had, like, a secular life. Like, I had friends that were not yeshiva people, who were not Jewish, who were, you know, into sex and into drugs and into, like, the stuff that wasn't happening on the yeshiva side. And so, like, I, I got to have, like, 
the best of both worlds, much to my mother's chagrin. Like, uh, although it's her, it's like, it's on her too. Like she would give me her car when I was 17 to go into the city and do, and like have fun. Um, you know, uh, but, but I didn't really have like any choice about whether or not I went to yeshiva. That was my parents who put me in yeshiva. And so by the time, uh, I finished Queens college, I was just like, see you later. (laughs) To Judaism. (laughs) Yeah, to all of the stuff, to all the stuff that like was part of my my parents just try, or my mother trying to make sure that I went down the path of like a kosher wife and a kosher life and all the stuff that wasn't intuitive to me. And a lot of that, too, ha- was because like I had this super fun life outside of the yeshiva world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were like, there is more here. Yeah. You knew what your options were, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So who's your first love then? You're you're having fun. You're at the New York downtown art scene, seeing John Zorn <laughs> play or whatever. Like I had a lot of crushes as a, a when I was in high school. There was this boy named uh, Eric who ended up marrying his first love. Uh, there was this boy, this boy named Rob who was just like somebody that I was crazy about. There was, oh, there was Kenny who I found on Facebook, like, like in the Facebook era, he was like a, like a, a boyfriend that I went out with for like a year and a half. There was Gary who uh, was like the Jewish boy that my mother still talks about to this day. <laughs> that was like uh, college. What? Yeah. And like, we were, our people. <laughs> we were, we were both yeshiva kids. So, and, and we were at this point in college, like his parents would let us sleep in the same bed knowing that like nothing would happen. <laughs> like there would be no babies the next day or next, you know, the next week or two. Uh, so like there were a lot of these people that I really liked there was this um, cyclist named Rob that I met at the University of Maine uh, who had, like, you can only imagine at 20 years old, the kind of body a cyclist would have. Like, I would just be like, just continue to walk around naked. I just, like, was so happy, like, being in his presence. But it wasn't until I was 22 and I met my first love, this guy named Doug, um, who was British. He was from Bath. He was just like, okay, wow, you know, on our, our first date, he gave me uh, a vinyl I'm sorry, on our one month anniversary of dating, he gave me a vinyl of the the, the the. How do you say uh, it, Andy? The the or I think the, it's the the? The the. And a perfect, and the, re- this, the record was a perfect day, and it was kind of like, was it, yeah, perfect day, is that right? And uh, it just kind of like was just really set the, the tone for our relationship. We just had this, you know, we moved in together right away. We lived together for about four years, oh, wow. maybe a little bit less. Yeah, he's like my real first love. The one, you know, I had sex with for the first time and, you know, all the things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we know what he's up to now? Have we saw seen him on Facebook? I've looked for him and looked for him and looked for him. And I could not find him. After we broke, he, broke up, he started dating uh, a woman who I bumped into at our at the optometrist. And when she realized that he was sending her to the same doctor that I went to, uh, she cut she cut all of that out. Like Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. he was doing that on purpose? No, but it's like he all he knew. He was just like, it's Oh, here's a person. He's a doctor I know, but it's like the doctor that my ex girlfriend went to. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like that's all he in did. In my mind, it was a little more devious that he was sending her <laughs> no. in the hopes that no. 
that she no. would bump into you and get some no. information because this no. is this is pre-internet, right? <laughs> no, yeah, this is this is still the '90s. Her name was Doreen, and she was just like she saw me, and she was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she she got Wait, like. If this was pre-internet, how'd she know who you were? She couldn't, like, stalk you on Instagram. Because we had, like, photos of each other and, like, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. did your picture? Oh, physical photos. We, you know, in the 90s, you could still do a lot of, like, you know, detective work uh, about who came before me and who came, you know, you figure Mm -hmm, stuff out. mm -hmm. Also, that boyfriend never got rid of a single love letter from any woman that ever sent, you know, so he probably had... All these things that he gave me that I like when we broke up, I was like, tick, 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 Uh uh you know, like, you know, little inscriptions in books, like, I love you the most and all the like names we called each other. Um, Yeah. So that was that. That was like, what? Yeah, if I was Doreen, I would have pulled a waiting to exhale, burnt it all down. (laughs) Excuse me. All of all of your romantic memories (laughs) next to where I sleep now. (laughs) I get I get where she's at. She was not having it. Nope. <laughs> Boy, he didn't have a shrine. Like, if I have anything, and, and most of the stuff I've, I set Naomi, <laughs> the listener Naomi perked up when I said, if I have anything. But what I was about to say was, it's in a box in a closet somewhere in New York. Uh-huh. I don't carry, like, I don't carry around, like, letters from ex-lovers. <laughs> but, you know, remember, like, when we were, like, at 25, we only had, like, a suitcase, right? Like, we didn't have much. To our mm-hmm. names, we, you know, we, you know, I think my furniture consisted consisted of milk crates that I would put a TV on top of. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't have much, so yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, that did it's not so nice to me. see you. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I wanted to ask about these young boys, Angie. Can I oh yeah, let's keep going. I feel like when. I mean, at this point, it would have been, what, six or seven years ago. My God, the pandemic ruins everything. But, like, you know, when we were in New York, we would go out, and you would just regale us with tales of your young lovers. And I am curious. Like, I guess what I'm wondering 20 is... 20-something lovers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I wanted to be yeah. like children. Jesus well, Christ. Yeah. I just want to... Yeah. Let's just be really but, clear. Yeah. Younger yeah. men. Okay? Yeah. Younger men. Yep. But yep. I will say, you know, and I don't even really know the question here as much as, like, you, you know, you like younger men. You and your daughter, who just graduated college, have like always been besties. Um, Very uh, Gilmore girls. V Gilmore. <laughs> um, you just wrote this book that is a YA book. What's with you and youth? <laughs> it's like not really a question, but I think you know. I think of you obviously as somebody that you've lived a life. I mean, you're hello. You're name dropping. You know, CBGBs and um, <laughs> Studio Fifty Four. But at the same time, you know, there is this. To, like to me you are 25 do you know what I mean like in the way you look at the world and the stuff you do the only problem is that your eyes get dry sometimes you still I think, dry. You, that's right that's it that's you have latest. always been young whereas yes. Naomi and I have always been old that's what I'm saying exactly and sort of you know what is like kind of is, did that have to do with sort of you know you were a parent but you definitely made being a parent cool but then once your daughter was, like, older and more self-sufficient, were you like, all right, it's time to do me? Sure. For the listener, there are pictures of, like, Ruby uh, as a baby uh, being held up on the stage at UCB, like, in the early days of UCB. Am I remembering that correctly? That is correct. That is yeah. correct. I yeah, did. She- 
Ruby's show. Ruby used to host a show when used to be East, and Marcel was the booker, you know, because if you got an email from a 12-year-old, you probably would read it. <laughs> and so Ruby was doing the show, like, back in the day, so she definitely grew up in comedy. But anyway, sorry, just letting the listener understand what we're referencing when we talk about Ruby. Right, right. my daughter Ruby, which is how I met Andy and Naomi, uh, because I was able to have Naomi do stand-up on one of Ruby's shows, and then we all became friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I think like the, attra- it's funny, it, it's not the first time it's come up, like, what is this thing with you and younger men? And the reality is, like, even when I was, before I had a baby, uh, I, my boyfriends were younger. I, okay. I, and I think it's, it's, it's a lot of, um, like, generational, like the men mm-hmm. my age, you know, were a little bit older than me in the way they thought about, uh, like, as a feminist life. Mm -hmm. The the men, like, this, I dated this guy, who I'm still actually friends with, too, um, uh, for a long time. He was 24 when I dated him. I think I was 32, 33. I I was in love with him, just like, I just, like, loved him so much. Um, we got set up on a blind date and we hit it off. And I, at the time when I was like in my early thirties, I wasn't really thinking I have to meet somebody age, age appropriate. Mm-hmm. I have to meet somebody who's marriage minded. Cause I wasn't actually marriage minded. I was still, I was like just living this life of, you know, going out every night and having a great time. Uh, and, and I fell in love and they almost like tripped into it, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like looking to fall in love. I just wanted to have like, you know, relationships that were three weeks to three months long and not more than that. Like, you know, I just wanted to like get as much as I could sexually out of somebody and, and then like go on to the next person because like (laughs) so much was going on. Um, and, and then I met this guy, I fell in love with him and then the inseminator, same thing. I didn't fall in love with him and he was just hot. And we met in Australia Again, he was, I was 34 at the time. He was and you were 20. in Australia for what? Yeah. Uh, I went on, on vacation with my friend Kendrick. Uh, we oh, were yes, like, your okay, black friend had- Kendrick. <laughs> 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 uh, we went on vacation uh, for like a month and, you know, and we just happened to meet this we were staying at a friend's and we had, and I, this beautiful surfer walked into the room and that was it. I was like, Kendrick already knew I was going to be fucking that guy. Like there was no <laughs> question. Like he was just like, all right, done and That's dusted. I'll go. I'm yep. just going to go, you know, I, and, um, yeah. And he, there's like a huge ga- ga- age gap between us. Uh, the last guy I dated, the nerd was also like 10 or 15 yeah. years younger than yeah, me. Yeah. yeah like nerd. Much younger lawyer. Than me. Yeah. The nerd. Yeah. No, yeah. the nerd. <laughs> also okay. a lawyer. Uh-huh. Uh, nerd also a lawyer. But like, but the, but the, but I don't know. It just, it just happens that way. It just like happens. Mm-hmm. Also, like if I, and you guys were with, we were at someone's wedding and you were helping me do the Tinder, yes, like, going, yes. or Bumble. And yes, Andy, no, we were at Bethany and, Hall's wedding and we had a right. real good time going through. Right. That's when it all began, I think, for both of us being obsessed with going through. Oh, yeah. Other people's, yeah. Yeah. Other people's yeah. Tinders and, and stuff like Andy, that. Andy, you're, you were so, dis- you were so careful in your judgment you're like no 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 and then be like oh maybe and i'd be like no Uh no no and the age and like the age range was at least 10 years younger than whatever my age was at the time because like the men my age now look like people's dads but (laughs) 
I don't want to be dating someone's daddy. Like I just said, not interested in that. I don't like. I don't want to be dating someone who is just like oi and I and ooh. Like I don't want that shit. That's that's not again. Like somebody in their forties could have hurt their knee because they played soccer too hard. Right, right, right. But it's it's a different kind of ache yes. when you're in your fifties. Yes, yes. So yes, yes, yes. That's or like a roundabout. Tripped over the holla. <laughs> it was on the floor, and you tripped over so, it. I guess that's a roundabout way of saying of like it's just happened. It's just been the yeah. energy in the air of these like younger people being attracted to me and me being attracted to them. But also what you said though, you you got off of it, but you did say initially too that the younger guys, which um their like kind of ideology or idea of like what a woman had to be, right? And feminism. Right. Like that makes sense to me, especially, you know, knowing you where you're like, Yeah, you needed somebody who wasn't gonna be like, could you please sit down? Right. And just be in the house right. and, you know, o- not o- be so mouthy. Older dudes, like the, <laughs> <laughs> the patriarchy has, like, uh, uh, got their its claws in their brains. And yeah. so yeah. there's a lot of, like, very traditional. I know I definitely, like, I don't, I don't think that I act that way. But definitely, like, the thoughts, like, traditional patriarchal thoughts do drop into my head. And then I have to, like, fight them. And not fight them. But, but even like, your thoughts, you know, you're 10 years younger. Like, right? Like, your thoughts are even still, whatever your traditional thoughts are, probably still wouldn't be the same traditional thoughts of, like, a 50-something dude. No, not at all. But I'm, I mean? say, but I'm just saying that, like, it, like if you're not self-aware, uh, then, like, you just allow, uh, you allow mass culture and mass cultural thought to uh, possess you like a poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> you're like a poltergeist, and so like, and I, I am sure the older you get, the less you like, the less you are self aware. Like, maybe I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a choice you make. This, yeah, the, like self awareness. Some of us are plagued with it, but then I think other people like you kind of choose whether you want to check in or yeah. check out. Yeah, you but, know what I mean. But Marcel, you are you have the uh, the vibe of of youth and self awareness around you. You have like a, a protective shell. Of- <laughs> yeah, protective it's like shell. a force field. Of- yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> like also, this is my natural hair color. Like that's the other thing. Like yeah. I don't even. I no don't gray even- going on really. I'm a little bit here. A little, there, but, but like- yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, so I present, I present, I may present as even younger because like I haven't caught up with like my hair hasn't caught up with like my like my birth age. <laughs> yeah, for like sure. That. Yeah, yeah, and I think and your fashion, and again, like I don't think you dress like you're giving us crop tops, crop tops, and thought vibes, but right, you don't dress like a dowdy mom. Right. Yeah. No you know, polyester you could if you in this house. To. Yeah, there's no polyester allowed in this house. Oh, no. God, I love dressing no, no. like a dowdy mom. Nothing like a loose dress. <laughs> um, nothing like a loose, shapeless moment. Um, one question before I know we, we're going to answer some people's questions. Well, I have a couple questions, too, so you okay. do your question. Okay. okay. You know, uh, as, as an only child of a single mother, uh, I guess one of, the que- one of the things I'm curious about, because my mom was like pretty serious about me not meeting people, you know, guys. Uh, but, again, it seems like, again, you and – you and Ruby are very Lorelai and Rory and because you weren't particularly emotionally attached, you know, there wasn't like, like, would you, would she meet people? Would she see guys? Was it very like, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to keep you separate from my kid. Did you have any of that going on? She, uh, for, for probably the first 10 years of her life had no idea had a, a sexual life, had no clue. Mm-hmm. And then around the time she was 10, 
I kind of, um, I met uh, a dog walker who was, you know, uh, half my age and we just started dating and she was with me when I met him. Uh, we were at a party. So like I, there was no way around that. And then I started dating somebody that I had this huge crush on when I was, um, in my twenties and like, even when we start, even the first week when we were, were, had just started dating, um, he was like, we need to get married. We need to build our <laughs> life together. Like, so it got what? very serious very quickly. Um, and, and then, but like, unless somebody was se- like serious about me or, you know, it was going to last more than two or three nights, she didn't meet anybody. Uh-huh. Like, you know, there were, there would be times. And actually, I never had sex in the apartment. Uh, when she was there with like the people who were, you know, more like drive-bys, you know, uh-huh. I made sure that she never woke up to like somebody's yes, yes. butt, you know, like I just yeah. made sure that that, like she always knew it was a safe place and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, she had, um, she didn't have to really think about that at all. Yeah. 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 That's um, good. The other thing I was thinking of, like when you said like you would like have these like three month flings or whatever, how would you know, like when you were, when it was over, how would you know? Like, you're like, if they're just like sexual flings, are you just like, I'm bored with this person or like, uh, their techniques no longer doing it for me or like, what was the, like, what precipitates an end for you for a thing like um, that? When I was younger, it, I was really more like squirrel, you know, like it didn't take much <laughs> you just to get distracted. <laughs> it wouldn't take much to distract me because there was constant. Also, because I was going out every single night, going to clubs, or going to see bands, you know, Neutral Milk Hotel or Joan Jet. Like, I go see these bands every single night. I was always meeting people. Mm-hmm. So, unless somebody was with me uh, at, at everything that I went to, it would be, it was just so easy for me to get distracted. Or mm-hmm. sometimes, like, I would see somebody getting attached and I didn't really like him like that. Like, I, I knew that, it, you know, and also, I, Again, like I was so intuitive about the kind of man I wanted to be with. And a lot of these guys were not, not necessarily in, in the, in that, in that idea that I had of like the kind of guy I wanted to be with. And again, the kind of guy I wanted to be with was just like a good guy that like was good and bad and also like was a, was just fun to be with and liked pavement more than anything. Like my criteria was not this very like minimal, but it was like specific. But also, like, not all men like pavement, you know, right. like they liked Radiohead or they liked, you know, I, uh, whatever, the Nirvana. Like, it, it wasn't, if somebody thought Nirvana was better than pavement, I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Like, what does this guy know? Or, you know, uh, or if they started, like, you know, going De La Soul, any of that stuff, like, I'd be like, <laughs> Did you say De La Soul? No. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, no, pavement is the future. <laughs> like, I was so, like, myopic about it. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Right. If yeah, you, if you can't me. quote a song from Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, you're out of there after one yeah. day. <laughs> But then, as yeah. you, but that's when you were younger. But then, as you got yeah. older, was it still the same thing? Because obviously, I don't think you're that myopic now. No. Yeah. Uh, now, now, what I look for is someone that's that like is a good person and uh, is open in the way he thinks, and or she. Like, I'm just not. Uh, the other again, like sometimes if I I date somebody, they can be a little stodgy in their thinking. Like I went on. I know I've gone on so many of these like. Uh, dating app dates and where it's just like 
Oh, no. I mean, I went on a dating update. I know I, I have a feeling I told you about this, where the guy was so handsome and he liked spiritualized. So I knew he was cool, <laughs> but it, he was, I think, 48. But from the time he was 13 to the time he was 41, he was a heroin addict. So I knew that this guy had a very comfortable relationship with fabrication. And I, I was like, hmm. there's no way I can date a professional liar. Like, there's just hmm. no way. Even though he was so handsome and also presented young, like, I was just like, that's just not going to happen for me. Yeah. Wait, did he give you any indication uh, otherwise? Or you were just like, oh, I... To be a heroin addict for 30 years, I know he's had to, or 20 years, whatever, I know he's had to have, like, made up a lot of shit to get his fix. Yeah. And he had Even a kid. though he's sober now, or not or not yeah. off heroin now. Yeah, he was sober. Uh, he'd been sober for, you know, whatever, seven, yeah, seven years. years. Uh, but, you know, he, he did a couple of things where I was like, is that... IBS or is that heroin? You know, like, you know, like, uh. you know, like, you know, and then like to know that that would always be show. in the back of my head, I'd be yeah, exactly a really good game show <laughs> to know that it would always be in the back of my head. I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have that in my life. Right. Like, I don't, right. I don't want to have a partner that I'm just like a little, yeah, a little worried about a little. Yeah. 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 So I'm really just, I'm very like, uh, I, I, I'm fluid, but I'm also rigid. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just mm -hmm. like, mm, mm, mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Would you get married again? Absolutely. Do you know what happens uh, when you retire and you can claim Social Security? If you're married, whoever may, whoever gets the bigger paycheck becomes your paycheck. So, like, yeah, I would totally. If, someone, <laughs> if, I, married, if I can marry somebody... By the time we retire and their social security payment is like $4,000 a month, totally. Like it's <laughs> worth my, it's worth my time and, you know, financially to like partner with someone. I know it's so. <laughs> I was like, okay, that is not what we were asking you. We were saying, what are you, is your heart open to that kind of permanent connection? It is open. But of course, remember, I'm thinking about the social security. So I'd be That's like, right. yeah, what? Sure. So, do you have a temper? No. What do you think your Social Security payment will be when you're 67? <laughs> okay, so like we need that. to find you a government worker who's about 59 <laughs> years old. Got three more years to get in there. You could get married, and then you set. That's what we need to yeah. find you. Any yeah. government workers in New York City area listening with, to this and into youthful pavement. energy. Youthful energy into pavement. Youthful energy. Wowie Zowie is your favorite album. <laughs> <laughs> think about that. Like, if they'd seen pavement at least once, even okay. this era would, you know, would be okay. Or PJ Harvey, uh, you know, just like I need some references so that yes. we can connect. Uh, I don't want no, nobody into country music. I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I, I like gospel, but I don't want Christian rock. Hold on. Like, alt, no, so I have what about alt country? <laughs> and now you know, you know how I feel about country. <laughs> All, but I'm saying like Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, early Wilco. Well, there, that's a different, that's, that's different. I mean, you know, I do love Wilco. I do love Wilco. I, but I don't consider them country. All con I'm just saying country. all yeah. country. Or what all about country. Willie Nelson? I, I think there's like, eh, I'm with <laughs> you, Marcel. You don't want somebody who's like about that. No. Like you don't want somebody who's like really like into it. No. Like if they like Jolene. Uh, that means they have well, a sense sure. of Well, you're just alive like if you like Jolene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're exactly. just breathing. Yeah. yeah. Wait, okay. Uh, last question before we take yes. a break. 
how did you, because you are very like open with Ruby. Oh, yeah. Whereas like Naomi and I are both uh, very repressed when it comes to our parents. And they similarly, I think, are repressed when they regarding us. And I'm kind of curious, like, how did you how were you able to I mean, was it just natural that you're able to kind of be open with her and like treat her like a sentient human being as opposed to. (laughs) (laughs) But also, she's not annoying. And I mean that to say, like, as someone who has known Ruby since she you know, met her when she was 12, she wasn't. For you being an open mom, she was not a like precocious kid who talked to me like right. we was two homegirls. Right. There is a difference, right? And that could have been the thing. So she still has some sense of I'm a kid, right? Like you're not right. she doesn't feel like she's like a your sister girl. Right. You know she, what I mean? ca- she calls us ma'am and sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I think the trick is or was and continues to be is that um, she's never my friend, right? She's my daughter at Mm -hmm. all times. And so I've always been a parent. Uh, And again, like too, and the reason why I wrote this YA book, I'm so connected to who I was at 12, 13, 14, 15. So when she was going through those years that, you know, could be really difficult and were for her in some ways socially, um, I was able to remember what it was like for me. It was difficult for me socially too as a kid uh, and just like put myself in that position and go, okay, what does she need from me? Mm-hmm. And how can I help her? Like I still insisted that she eat, you know, broccoli, but like I also <laughs> did not insist that she goes to bed at like nine o'clock. Like I was like, okay, what do you need? You need more time? Okay, great. You still wake. And the other great thing about her is that from like sixth grade on, she was so self-sufficient, like would walk Mm. by herself to school, um, you know, could do all these things that like maybe some kids aren't aren't able to do just yet. And maybe it's because we were living in the city, you know, so we didn't she didn't have to rely on me for, you know, carpooling or anything like that. So so that made it possible again, like. I still had issues when she would, you know, break a rule or something uh, and she would and she would just course correct. Um, But, yeah, it made it possible for uh, like particularly when she was a teenager for it not to be like the nightmare it is for a lot of parents where they're like, where's my kid? Like Mm -hmm. my kid always was always respectful of me, like find my phone like she didn't make me take it off. Like it was it was always we were always like in a in a good place. Mm-hmm. 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 I see. So you were open, but you were still, but not too open. Not too open. You know, like <laughs> curfew until I think uh, she had curfew until eleventh uh, grade, and then after eleventh grade, no curfew. Um, you know, there was other things that there were other rules set in place that you know she couldn't do certain things Sunday through Thursday, but Friday, Saturday, she could do whatever she wanted. Like it, there were certain things, so she would always know. Uh, it's like how, you know, some parents regulate the amount of TV time their kids have. You know, it was, the, it was that sort of approach to like when she was a teenager. Damn, Marcel, you're good at drawing boundaries. I know. So good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break and we get back. We're going to answer some of your advice questions. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back with Marcel Carbom <laughs> of the Year. Here for boundaries and open communication. Wait, Marcel, the guy who wanted his schwanz bent and stuff, how <laughs> yes. long did that last? Uh, that-, that was that was three months. He was working at MTV. I was at Nickelodeon. We were like <laughs> a floor apart. We were like, you know, uh, and so uh, we would. Would you meet in the hallway? Into, we would meet in each other's offices. Uh, and <laughs> he lived by himself and we, I would go to his apartment all the time. Uh, he, he was fun. He was definitely fun. The Viacom hookup. Okay. Yeah, there, was, yeah. there was a lot of those, by the way. <laughs> I just want to know because it just seems like when the, if, if it's a complicated kind of thing, you, you would if you're not like super into it, it seems like that would like run, uh, uh, be exhausted. It would run its course. Pretty yeah, quick. run its course somewhat quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you wake up one day and you're like, what is he doing here? You know, and, and then you know that you don't like them anymore. Yes. And and and. And they, like, again, like in your 20s, it's so easy to go in and out of these things, you know, just like, oh, hi, oh, oh, hi. Uh, and even up until I, I got pregnant, it was, it was relatively seamless. Like, you know, just like, again, because I wasn't really looking to get married, move to the burbs, have children, like that was not in my, my thought system. Mm-hmm. It sure. was more of like, uh, I want to experience as much as I possibly can. Wait, did you get pregnant in that Australian vacation? I got pregnant in New York. He had moved to New. He moved okay. to New York. He moved you to New York him. and lived with. You me. hooked him <laughs> in the vacation, and then he moved to New York. Okay. <laughs> he 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 moved to New York uh, and lived with me for a while, and then I got pregnant here. Oh, okay, okay, real yeah. crocodile Dundee situation. <laughs> Doing his thing, his magic thing. <laughs> All right, uh, this first question, um, it's about motherhood in some way. So I thought this <gasps> oh. would be appropriate. Hi, Andy and Naomi and lovely guests. Um, I have an advice question that seems most specifically for Naomi because the way you've talked about your relationship with your mother reminds me of my relationship with my mother. And after years of analyzing our relationship, 
I have come to the conclusion that she doesn't fully understand me as a separate person than her. Mm. Um, I think that's really at the root of the problem. Um, we have argued about everything for my entire life, but um, most um, importantly, when I was going to college um, and then eventually when I was going to grad school, she 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 would really try to take full control of the situation and really mold me on her image. She wanted me to do exactly what she did. Um, and so, yeah, I she won the fight when I was an undergrad and I got a useless degree. Um, and now I'm in grad school. I'm finishing grad school and I, I got to do what I wanted. I won that argument. She graciously let me do what I wanted with my life. Um, but now I'm also getting married. And so right. it's rearing its ugly head again. I want to, you know, have a small wedding, non-traditional. I want to do what I want. <laughs> and she just won't let me. And I've tried to throw up boundaries and I've tried to tell her, like, you know, this is my wedding, not yours. Um, and she doesn't seem to fully understand that. Um, and, yeah, I keep throwing up boundaries. At one point, I threatened to elope and cancel the whole thing. And she said, and that, you know, worked. She left me alone for a little while. But she still, like, is giving herself projects and still, like, inserting herself in the wedding. Now she wants to, like, taste the food, which, like, I don't think is a normal part of a wedding. So basically, I just want to know how to, like, throw up more boundaries or, like, deal with, like, a mom who wants to be overly involved and is, like, incredibly critical. That's my problem. It's not that she's involved. It's that she never has anything nice to say when she's involved. Like, if I thought this was a positive experience, I wouldn't, like, be so mad about it. Anyways, yeah. I've been thinking about it for a long time. I'm so sorry that I'm ranting. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Um, love the show. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Now, Ooh. this question sounds wow. for me, but I'm so glad we have Marcel here because mm -hmm. I'm like, girl, I haven't learned. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear you on this. Yeah. yeah. Wait. Okay. Let me ask you, Marcel, a question first. Was there ever a moment where you totally disagreed with the direction Ruby was going in and so you had to like put your foot down I was very sad that she was in love with musical theater and didn't <laughs> like Bikini Kill but uh, <laughs> uh, and so what I did this is how I rebelled uh, I made my friends take her to see Broadway shows which they were very happy to do uh, uh, there's a couple of things like, there's been a couple of moments like particularly as she got older um, like where she's wanted to travel and it's not it's not conducive financially uh, and you know she didn't like me saying no uh, and I didn't like having to say no but I knew I needed to but you know like I'm listening to this this call and I'm like only thinking about my mother I was thinking yeah like my mother it, and, you know, my mother's 82, but she's always been this way. She's always been cloying and um, needy 
and trying to still retain control of my life. And it really was in my 20s where I broke free to some extent of that hold she had on me. And a lot of it was just like separating. And, you know, too, like when you're getting married, you do want your mom there. But if your mom has like a toxic energy, that's just going to ruin your own experience. And so like it sounds like she's still struggling with trying to create that boundary, but she's aware that she has to. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first step, like knowing that you have to be like, get the fuck out of my face, you know, but in a nice way, <laughs> but in a nice way. But what did you do in your 20s to set up that boundary? The the, the main thing I did was to not uh, be in contact with her as much. You know, she also mm-hmm. too, like when I got married, she was she really didn't like the inseminator. Um, and she at every moment would call him a piece of shit. And, what? Like, you know. You don't really need that energy when you already know that, you know, the relationship is doomed and you're doing everything you can to just stay positive. Um, oh, a lot of it, a lot, I know, right? So a lot of it is too, like with a, with a mother who is realizing that she's losing control over the one thing she had control over, which is her own child. Um, a lot of it is on, the onus is on you because the mom is never going to hear you say step away. So mm-hmm. it's really on you to do the stepping away as much as, as heartbreaking as it is. Like it's on you. And later, later you figure out like how to be more of a, in a relationship that's not toxic. But, but the key thing is to really step away is just to like reduce the amount of contact, uh, you know, just not, not engage in text fighting. Like if the mom is like, where are you? Why aren't you answering me? I can't believe it. I raised you. Why you came out of my vaginal canal. You just don't, (laughs) you don't answer those texts. Like that, that to me is like, uh, like, like a real thing. With this wedding stuff, my, another thought that just came to my mind too, though, is like, and I feel this way, like, cause I'm, I hear this was like, I would love for her to be around if it was a pleasant situation. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it's it's true. Like if it and again, the pleasantness, like there are things in my life and the way our dynamic is that I know I will start acting like a kid again, even if she's not trying to push a button, right? So this is right. just as me bringing baggage as it is her bringing baggage. Um and I don't know how to like not care and not react, which is why separation seems to be the thing. But then there's also part of me that's like, you know, it was me and her for so long. And when I was little, I was a good, I was a good daughter. I, you could control me. I, all I wanted was her approval. And then as I got older, that kind of went away. And she was like, wait a minute. I liked better when you, you did what I said and didn't, you know, and were agreeable. And so, you know, the, it's that push and pull. Cause it's like, you want your mom around. And as you said, it's like, it's your wedding, you want your mom, but then you're like, but why doesn't this feel better? And I wonder if when it comes to the wedding thing, because you know, this caller said, like, she said, like, I, um, you know, I told her I was going to elope. And then that put it, you know, and then that made her stop. But that's like a threat. And that's like a power move you're pulling that I actually don't think is that effective. Like, yeah, maybe it bought you a couple of good weeks. But it's kind of like you either do it or you don't. I think when it comes to that kind of activity. And I wonder, you know, something with this wedding. What if you went to your mother? Would it work to go to her and say, like, mom, it would mean a lot to me, or I would love it if, you know, so you're setting up, and this should be real, don't just say it if you don't mean it, but if you planned the brunch the next day, or you designed 
a place setting. Something that you know she likes, that's in her wheelhouse, that won't, that like you won't really be pressed about either way. So that, you know, it's like, uh, do you agree with her taste and you just like don't like her execution and the tone she takes with you? Then be like, okay, you, you give us some table settings. Like, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, if you can give her an activity and make it clear too that this is something that you do appreciate because you know they need to be appreciated, honey. They need to be appreciated. They need to know you need them. But picking something specific and just letting her put her energy right there and everything else is for you and your partner to decide. That's what I, if that can help. I don't know if you've tried That's that. That's great advice. I wonder, you know, because it's got to be, I mean, because like, she want to do something and you know she wants to do something and there's a party that doesn't want her to do something. You just wish it didn't come with all the extra. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you, Marcel, you know, your mom comes to visit you and stays for a long time at a clip and needs attention, right? Like it's not, you know, again, she's older. I'm not saying like it's a bad thing, but you know, she's not here to just like go do her own thing in the city and then you meet up. Right. She's not just uh, coming in to uh, go to Magnolia and get some cupcakes. <laughs> she's like, I'm just going to yeah. take a walk and I'll see you later. That's not the vibe. You really do have to be with her. But obviously, you know, you've had boundaries up for 30 years what does it look like when you're doing that now? You know, when she does come into your space, the way you run things, but she's still your mom, how do you do it? Um, now, you know, uh, she's, con- she's, she's caught on, but I buy the, the airline ticket, you know, so I make sure it's only a week. You know, when, <laughs> when it was happening or, you know, when it was happening when, she, when, when my daughter was younger, I needed her around because I needed some backup. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as a teenager, particularly when my daughter was a teenager, uh, my mom would pass judgment on her and I'd be like, no, I don't want that energy in my house. Like, okay. I don't want that. And so that's when I started going, okay, I'll buy your ticket. Don't worry about it. I'll buy your ticket. I would, you know, buy her first class ticket. She could come. This is when I was working. Of course, when I was unemployed for six years, she was all the way in the back of the plane. But like, I would always make sure, I would always make sure that she, that I controlled, uh, how long she stayed, you know, and, uh, and I also have a brother who lives in Brooklyn and there's no room in his apartment for her to stay. So of course the daughter has to bear that responsibility. Um, and you know, I didn't want that. I already had a kid I'm raising by myself. So, so it's, it's a lot, your advice is so great. It's like, give your mom a little thing to do. And this way the mom has like, feels like she's part of the part of like the biggest day of your life. And, yeah. and, and then, and then Hollis, that's it. It's like when you're on a, a, a car trip with your children and you give them some Mad Libs in the back <laughs> to occupy them so they're not constantly. You're basically giving, call her, you're basically giving your mom some kind of matrimonial Mad Libs <laughs> to, to occupy her so she doesn't annoy you while you drive to the chapel. <laughs> while you drive to the chapel, exactly. What, exactly. While you drive to the huppa? <laughs> to the huppa? <laughs> but yeah, I think so. I think it's like, you know, and I think that is a way of setting a boundary, right? Because yeah. again, we're not trying to get rid of her. We love our mothers. We want them there, mm-hmm. but we have to almost teach them how to be there for us, right? Because what they think we need or want us to need might be, you know, is not the same as what we actually need, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I think because for instance, yes, I like growing up and even now, I think 
a big part of why I'm a messy person is a reaction to growing up with somebody who was very neat and very specific. And like, if I cleaned my room, she would come in and look. She would open my drawers. And if I had just stuffed things in the drawer, she would pull it all out and say, no, fold it. She put it on a white glove. And just just like, use it a finger, honey. Just like, check it for that dust. But that's how she was, right? Which is now why I have like a five foot tall pile of clothes on top of my dresser. I don't like it. But I re- I think that part of that, at least it starts out before it's as tall as it is. I think it does start out as being like, I'm an adult. I can do what I want. And I think that's like how some of that kind of, you know. And so, for instance, then if my mother sees that, she goes, oh, no, we got to clean this. And it's like, actually, no, that's not what I want from you. It may look to you like I'm like 15 years old and I need the thing I needed then. I don't now. I do not now. What I need from you is to tell me I'm pretty and take me to a nice <laughs> restaurant. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> or make make that schnitzel you used to make when I was younger in matzo bry. Make that thing I like so much. Make that. Go in the yeah. kitchen. Go do that. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had matzo bry in forever. Oh, yeah. Matzo bry was my mom's thing. My dad's thing. And my mom. Uh, you could also do what Naomi and I did, which was uh, stop planning the wedding because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want your parents to interfere and you didn't know he how was sick to of, yeah he was sick of fighting with just, them and you're just like don't right. mention it just don't speak mention of it. it and then maybe they'll just forget yeah and like stop caring yeah so just be engaged for the rest of your life <laughs> no 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 we're playing we're we're starting we're to gonna figure again. this out we're, we're gonna figure it out marcel do you have time for one more oh my god yes this one comes to us anonymous from instagram okay hi love you guys <laughs> This is a question for the pod. Please know that if you heard my voice, it would be shaky slash crying. I just don't want to hear it if you guys answer. Mm. Uh, I had a brief dalliance with a man I have fantasized about for years. I do freelance work and he asked me to do a project and our flirtation grew more intense and personal. Over the period of a few months, we had some sexual interaction. He is far older and not able to maintain an erection, even with Viagra. So no P and V. All right. Well, she just put it all out there. (laughs) He wouldn't commit, but was calling me his muse. Huh. Is this one of the Safty brothers? Uh, saying <laughs> I changed his life, saying he was afraid of getting involved. Oh. Several times I attempted to set a boundary saying that I wanted more, and him being ambivalent about committing was damaging to me. Parentheses, I have a problem feeling unlovable, and this was majorly triggering. Sure. Just plain old, I don't like when someone I like doesn't like me. Right. Yes. And just calls me his muse? Ugh. Can I? Sorry, I'm, I, I'm gonna him. pause this. By the way, just to say, uh, don't call people your muse. <laughs> All right, folks. Yeah. All right, folks. If you, if you're a real artist, your muse is the music of the world. <laughs> Marcel, someone's <laughs> called you their muse before. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> for sure, Marcel, you have been called someone's views. Yes, and they've written poetry and all this other stuff. But... Of course. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Marcel they... gives muse vibes, yes. you know, like, like he's been someone's muse. Do they have an ascot? I imagine someone kind <laughs> no, of. No, I don't imagine ascot. I imagine like grungy. Oh, no. A I guitar. imagine more like a Victorian. <laughs> no, a uh, Guitar. <laughs> I, you know, I, to this day, if I date somebody and I see a, an acoustic guitar in his living room, I'm like, no, rap is <laughs> It's is so there, triggering to me. Marcel, is there a song written about you on a popular indie rock album? There is? Not, not on a popular one, but uh, there is a song 
uh, written about me. Yep. We're going to find that out off mic. Yeah, yeah. off mic. You got to tell us yeah, what yeah. it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, back to this letter. Every time, uh, every time I did this, he would negotiate to continue talking to me in some way. And every time I let him, if I'm honest, the longer this went on, the more grasping and desirous to prove my worth I became. Down to telling him I'm amazing that he was being foolish. Oh, I see. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, after setting this boundary and him ignoring one last time, I attempted to hold him accountable for not responding to a text for 12 hours, which to me is rude, as I know he is constantly on his phone. At this point, he told me that it was obvious to him that he could not be in a romantic relationship with me, saying I had been his muse, angel, ugh, blah, blah. I called him to try to talk about it, and he treated me like someone that he had stepped in. Ugh. Or a stray dog had followed him home, and he had to turn the hose on. Oh, my God. Ugh. A day later, I sent a text asking for an email when the project was done so I could get photos and blocked his number both so I wouldn't be waiting and so he couldn't reach out again later on if he got bored or needed an ego boost. Ever since then, all I can think about is why he doesn't want me. What's wrong with me? Oh, I know this feeling. I had sincere feelings for this man, and I'm not sure if anything he said to me was real, if it was all lies, if I did something to make him treat me so cruelly at the end. I still want him, I still want him, but I know that's a bad thing, and I'm trying to do the right thing. I mm -hmm. assume he has already moved on and is hurting me, and it's hurting me. I am mm -hmm. having a very difficult time letting go of wanting him to want me. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. I'm going out, keeping busy, all of that, and I am just still so confused and hurt. All the holidays are about to start. Okay, we're a little late yeah, on this. Uh, and I will undoubtedly see him, and I don't know how to act, which is complicated, but I still want him so much. Any thoughts, insights, tips you might have would be beyond helpful. I hadn't had a connection like this in a decade, and I'm downright forlorn. I was really hoping to be his jubu. <laughs> Heartbreak emoji. Please feel free to edit my heartbroken rambling if necessary. Thanks, guys. Love you all. P.S. Already in therapy, going once a week. <laughs> Okay, we're behind on this, so I would like to hope that the uh, writer can give us a follow-up after hearing this, because I would love to know where you're at now. Um, but in general, I do think this is an evergreen problem, right? Like, Oof. wanting someone who doesn't want us, somebody who is like, muse, angel, I need you, but then treating you like you a damn dog. I mean, I'm trying to think of what, like, I remember this feeling so much, but I also don't remember how I quote unquote got over the feeling as much as it was just lifted one day. Can I just say, by the way, that I'm still living in the revulsion of this guy calling her his muse. Her muse, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's like that, that feeling is very present in my body. of just like, ew, dude. Um, this, this reminds me of grief. Um, like, you know, when you mm. lose somebody you love and you really love them, it, you you cry a lot and the pain is with you. And then it just like one day, like you said, Naomi, it evaporates. I was so when, when my dad died, I was dating somebody who uh, you both know. And I was so taken with him, like so terribly taken with him. And it wasn't exclusive. We were the same age. He kind of really epitomized the person I wanted to be with, but mm -hmm. he didn't, care about me in the same way I cared about him he didn't he didn't he didn't love me in any way I don't know that I loved him but I was very taken by him and I think it took me it took me a very long time to to like 
rid myself of thinking about him every day or like or on his birthday you know making sure i didn't respond like didn't uh wish him a happy birthday just like doing the these small things that help me protect myself because at some point when you realize that somebody that you're so uh, taken with doesn't care about you it in the way that you care about him that that's not going to change mm-hmm. uh, there it's it, you're having a one-sided relationship and the re- only relationship that is important in that relationship is the one you have with yourself so you, you you like it's like turning that energy and going all right I need to like heal, get over this guy, uh, and not beat myself up of over the things I might have done or where it went wrong or why did I say, like, don't beat yourself up. Just go remember, like, how vibrant you are and how vital you are and how wonderful you are and heal. Yeah. Yeah. That's something my therapist says to me a lot when I, like, talk about myself. She goes, uh, would you say that to a child? The things that you're saying to yourself, mm-hmm. I go, no, that would be insane. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, don't say them to you. So I, th- I think that's like uh, another thing I've been doing therapy, mindfulness, meditation, doing practice. That that's helping. I think. I think di- instead of like a lot of people distract themselves from stuff instead of dealing with it. I think diving into the it, whatever that is, whatever that feeling is, whether it's grief or or heartbreak or whatever it is. Dealing with it as opposed to pushing it away uh, yeah. is is probably healthier and probably will dull that feeling. Because really, what we're all saying with this stuff is that you have to get used to the feeling. Because that's what it is. When that feeling dissipates, that just means you've kind of gotten used to it. You've gotten used to the way the world is. Right. The new order. The world in which right. you do not interact with this person. Right. Yeah. And so... By distracting yourself from that feeling, you are just kicking the can down the road. I see what you're saying. I think there's also something, too, to be said of, and this is more of a, this is a, I've never said this before, but it's a very silly exercise that I would do when I was like, oh, I liked him or I thought he was so great. I would write down all these things that I allegedly liked about this person or the way they made me feel. And I would just look at it from the other side. Meaning, so like, for instance, you could say, he said I was his muse, which made me feel special and loved. But being his muse also means I serve him and like meaning I serve his creativity and I'm there to make him feel better. You see what I'm saying? So it's it's not necessarily that I'm special and oh, like the point is the, the thing this person is saying is not so singular to them and it's not necessarily as beautiful and perfect as you thought it was. You see what I'm saying? Like, or when someone's where it's like, oh, he says, he says I'm like the funniest woman ever, which is supposed to be a compliment. But the flip side of that is also like, he implies that women couldn't be funny or I can't just be a funny person. I have to, my funniness has to be classified under woman. You know what I mean? Like these things that just kind of start to chip away at what I think I'm missing. You know what I mean? Because I would, it was always just like, oh my, and especially I used to always be like, no one's ever going to like me. And and then sometimes too, for me, sometimes like the worse you were, the worse it felt for you to reject me. You know what I mean? Like if I was like, I had already kind of like let go of some of my standards so we could date and then you'd rejected me. It made me feel even worse. Because I was like, well, if I can't get this loser, how can I get anybody? By the way, what's this chump making? (laughs) 
<laughs> what is it? Yeah, yeah. What, what is the schmuck doing? Like, yeah, is he an go, artist? Yeah. What is he making? Go look at the art he makes or whatever. I yeah. mean, is it just spreadsheets? Like, you're my muse for this, like, you know. My I'm, accounting muse? Yeah, my. Is that what you're saying? I can, I can do summations in Excel, thanks to you. Like, go look at the stuff he's making and be like, oh, he sucks. Yeah. I bet I bet if you look at whatever he's doing, whether it's a poem or a song or a piece of art, you'll be like, oh, oh, this creep stinks. But I think this also has to do with, I think they said up top too, like, you know, somebody I'd fantasized about for a while. Oh, yeah. Right? So there's already that attachment to, oh, I finally got him, whatever it means to get, right? That idea. And then you had him for a minute, but then you never really, because it was always some bullshit. I can't commit to you, but I, you my angel, but I want you around, but I just can't be in love with you. This is somebody who's selfish. Mm-hmm. They don't want, they do not want to, they do not want you relying on them. Mm-hmm. There's someone who does not want the responsibility of somebody else wanting or needing them, but they would like to feel what it feels like to be wanted and needed. Maybe yeah, it was just real good at kind They're not of kind. Yeah, they're not kind, you know, and that's something that's super important to me, like a kindness in a person. If someone starts acting in a really mean way to you, that's a that's a sign of 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 like a loss of uh, a love or connection. And that's that's like a just it's just like a telltale sign. So it's like, oh, he's behaving in a, a way now, this way now towards me. What will it be like in 10 years? Right. You know, like, is he going right. to be throwing exactly like throwing like balls at my head like tennis balls at my head you know like you know yeah like and you you if you're going to enter a relationship or be in a relationship with someone uh you want to protect yourself as much as possible so it doesn't get toxic uh because you know that's not an energy you want to you know grow old with right right um and i think that you know yeah this whole like saying i changed his life it's like well you're welcome this person's very welcome, okay? Because it seems like you did a lot in this situation. Changing this person's life, helping them create, being patient with their dumb ass. I'm glad you blocked the number. Mm. I'm really, really Me glad too. you blocked the number. And I almost want you to block the emails, quite frankly. <laughs> but or like or be like, please send them to this address and just like have somebody else field them. I think that like you're not gonna get us anything short of I'm a fool and I want to be with you is not going to satisfy you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like even if the person, even if this person comes in and is like, I'm sorry uh, and whatever, it's still not going to feel good. Like there's no feeling better, like, like, or not feeling better, but like feeling okay with him after this. He was, he was shitty. He was shitty in a way that's like, Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, no. Just imagine his soft ding dong. Stop. <laughs> oh yeah. And there's that, you know, um, that that's something that happens with uh, men who are older. So it's another thing for you to think about too, is like maybe date, date people who are just like a little bit younger uh, so that you can, you know, at least have some kind of fulfilling sexual relationship. But no, but I don't think that was it though. Cause it does seem like there was some intimacy, but that's what I was saying. Maybe he was really good at cunnilingus and then he was no, but I also, but I wonder, and again, armchair psychiatry <laughs> that could impact his feeling of being in a relationship. Yeah. If that's something that makes him insecure, he may feel like, well, I can't actually have like a, you know, sexual relationship with somebody long term if this is something that I have trouble doing. Right. Who knows? Who knows how that affects his like, you know. But again, it don't matter. 
Okay, because you said you he stayed balanced. around. Mm. You you had some patience, and he was an ass. If he can't get hard, can he have any kind of fulfillment? Well, you find new fulfillment. With what? I don't know specifically. There are other things that feel nice. Yeah, uh, pleasing your partner feels nice. Uh, I would like to see you take his number out your phone so that you never feel tempted to ring him, even if you want to wish him a happy birthday. Yep. 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 I hope that you, I hope that you are on the other side of this by now and feeling free and that, um, you know, you know, I hope I wish him the worst. So (laughs) that's what's happening. Um, I wish him eternal flaccidity. I don't care about his penis. I I care about his soul. And he has been damned to hell as far as I'm concerned. He just seems like such a, such a creep. Yeah, he's an ass. Um, and I'm sorry you went through it, but I know you're on Me the too. other side. You're very smart. <laughs> Marcel. 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 Hi. Marcel. This has been Hi. such a delight. It this was so a- good. To, we were talking. We were like, we were tired. And we we're like, oh, thank God we're talking to a friend today. Yes. <laughs> where it'll be like fun and, you know, yeah, I'm not wearing a bra, but you don't care. You know? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. The only reason I'm wearing one is because I got to go walk Rocky in like 10 minutes. And, you know, I can't have them swinging around Stytown. I can't have that happen. I'll be swinging around Hollywood, girl. um, All right, you guys. I hope you enjoy this episode. We'll see you next week. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.